few minutes ago, Isaac told me that Brady was going to be singing us a special, and I thought, oh, I hope he sings that song. <laughs> he did. <laughs> I'm so thankful. I'm just really not sure that we can preach Christ and believe on Him narrowly enough. If we get a hold of that, well, he just uh, it's Christ alone. I'm telling you, that would clear up so much confusion. That would clear up all the fussing and fighting and all the... Oh. Well, maybe I'll try to do that, preach, preach Christ alone. If you would, open your Bibles, first of all, to Psalm 97. I've titled the message this evening, Giving Thanks. As you all well know, tomorrow is the day that our country has set aside to give thanks. And I honestly cannot think of a more biblical, scriptural uh, holiday, if you want to call it a religious holiday, than Thanksgiving. Just there's nothing more right that we can do than give thanks to our God. And I know as we all sit around our tables tomorrow, I know this group, I know you'll be thankful. I know we will. We'll be thankful for our families. I do look forward to tomorrow sitting around that table and look at my family. Family God's given me and Janet. And we'll be thankful getting to spend some time with them. We'll be thankful for the food that we eat. We'll be thankful for our homes. We'll be thankful for our jobs, the physical blessings that our God has loaded us with. I mean, He's loaded us with blessings. We'll be thankful for our country. Thankful for the freedoms that we have long enjoyed as Americans. And it's right to be thankful for those things. But you know the things that a believer is most thankful for are spiritual blessings. Now we're thankful for these earthly blessings. And like I said, we ought to be. But you know what? They'll be gone someday. Won't they? They'll all be gone. But the spiritual blessings that God has given us in our Lord Jesus Christ, they'll be forever. You know, these are blessings. You can't live without them. I was talking to a man the other day. He said, well, me and my wife, we don't, we don't have any family. You know, we get together at Thanksgiving with, with some friends. And um, everybody doesn't have a family. But, you know, you can get through the world all right. You can't live without these spiritual blessings that we're going to talk about here in just a few minutes. And I want to look at, at a few of them. And it's my prayer that, that seeing these things giving thanks to our God. It'll put our hearts, number one, in the right attitude of worship. I mean, you cannot worship without thanksgiving. I think it'll put our hearts in the, in the right uh, attitude to celebrate Thanksgiving Day tomorrow. So number one is this. Give thanks that our God is sovereign in all things. Psalm 97, verse 1, the psalmist says, The Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. Now I know David uses the word rejoice here. The word means glad. And that's close enough for me to Thanksgiving to fit into the, our message tonight. Our God is sovereign. That's not just a point of doctrine that differentiates us from, from other forms of religion. Our God is sovereign and we're thankful. Who is the old preacher said, God's sovereign and we'll be thankful. And you know, if God is truly God, He must be sovereign. 
Isn't that right? If he's God, he must be sovereign. He must be in control of everything. If God is truly God, he's not, he's not a, a, somehow a, 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 can't call him a God, but some sort of a, a being that, you know, as man controls with strings like you control a kite or something. But if God is truly God, then everything that happens, absolutely everything, has to be his will. It has to be. Nothing can happen that's outside of his will if our God reigneth, if he's sovereign. And everything that happens is God doing. He's doing it to accomplish his purpose, to redeem his people from their sin, to glorify his son in redeeming his people from their sin. And ultimately, he's working all these things together to bring his people to be glorified with Christ our Savior. And the scriptures plainly declare a God who's sovereign. And we're thankful. And that what Nebuchadnezzar told us? God always does his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand. None is even qualified to ask him, what are you doing? He's sovereign. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that's just exactly what he did. In heaven and earth and the seas and all deep places. And David tells us here that the sovereignty of God is a reason to rejoice. It's a reason to give thanks. I know there's many reasons for that, but I can tell you the main reasons why David's saying this. If Almighty God is sovereign over all things, then God chose a people to save simply because it seemed good to Him to do it. They didn't deserve it. One wasn't better than another. You don't have to be good enough to be saved. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to stand out from the crowd in order for God to save you. Matter of fact, you've got to be down to the bottom of the barrel. But God didn't choose the people because they're any good. You don't have to be good enough to please God. God simply chose a people to save because it pleased him to do it. It was his sovereign will to do it. God is sovereign. He determined to save a people. Now God, he must be holy. Everything God does must be holy. Everything God does must be right. It must be just. But you know, mercy is an attribute of God too. God must also be merciful. He determined in his mercy to save a people. And God in his wisdom did not leave that salvation up to the will of man. God made it so that salvation depends on his will and his doing. It doesn't depend upon the dead, fallen will of man. It doesn't depend upon the dead works of man. God made it so that salvation depends on his sovereign will to save whom he will. And if God is sovereign over every event that happens in creation, then absolutely nothing can happen to take God's people and pluck them out of God's hand and make them lose their salvation. That's what you just saw. If God's sovereign, His people cannot lose their salvation because Almighty God uses His sovereign power over everything to guarantee the salvation of His people. You think what a king we have. What a sovereign we have. Every other king, every other man who's ever had any power in the history of this world has used it for his own good. He uses his power to line his pockets and, you know, just... Almighty God uses his unquestioned power for the good of his poor people. And unfortunately, because man is dead in sin, there are people 
who hate hearing about the sovereignty of God in salvation. And this is what they say. This is why they say, I hate hearing of God's sovereignty. Because that means I don't have a chance to be saved. I want the chance to decide for myself. Brother, I don't. I don't want a chance to be saved. I want the Lord to save me. If the Lord left salvation up to my will and up to my doings, my chance of being saved is zero. But if it's God's sovereign will to save me, then I shall be saved without any doubt about it. See, this is why David's saying rejoice. Our God reigneth, rejoice. The sovereignty of God is the assurance of our salvation. If God has willed the salvation of his people, then those people must be saved. Because our God reigns, he always does his will. And that's the kind of salvation, it's the only kind of salvation that will save a sinner like me. I need God to do it all. I'm thankful. Every time I think about the sovereignty of God, I'm thankful. It's the assurance of our salvation. But you know, the, the sovereignty of God is also our comfort and our assurance in times of trouble and trial. Our trials, they come upon us suddenly, don't they? I never had a trial that didn't take me by surprise. But didn't surprise God. Didn't surprise Him. You know why it didn't surprise Him? Because He's the one that sent it. He is the one that sent it for our good and for our learning. He sent that trial. Boy, sometimes they knock you flat, don't they? You know, God sent that trial to take me down a peg. So I'll learn to trust Him more. Uh, painful, but it's good for me, isn't it? It's painful. A, a trial is not a trial if it's not painful. But the Lord still means it for our good. And he's going to bring good out of it even if we don't understand how he's doing it. I promise you he is. Let me give you a couple examples. Way back in Genesis 15, Abraham didn't have any children. Lord told Abraham, you're going to have a son. And your seed, one day, is going to go down and sojourn in the land of Egypt where they will be slaves. Abraham, they're going to be down there. and He doesn't have any children. I mean, he can't even imagine a nation that's come from him. But that those people, that nation of people is going to be down there in Egypt afflicted for 400 years. Not 399 years, not 398 years, not 401 years, 400 years. They're going to be there that exact amount of time because that's what the Lord's purpose is. And the Lord said, then I'm going to bring them out. Well, sure enough, children of Israel, there were just 70 of them at the time. They went down there to Egypt because Joseph was down there in charge of all the bread that was existed in the whole wide world. And they went down there for Joseph to take care of them. And he did. And they prospered there. They prospered during the reign of Joseph. And they prospered for a while after. Until, Moses says, there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. That Pharaoh enslaved the Israelites. They were there in Egypt. Now there they were. Slaves. I mean helpless slaves with no rights, with nobody to appeal to. They're slaves. One day, I mean they're property of somebody else. One day, just on a whim, you know what Pharaoh did? He sent his soldiers 
to go down there where the Egyptians or where the Israelites lived and kill every boy baby. Just kill every one of them. And they did. They went down there and slit their throats. They threw them in the Nile. They killed every boy baby they could find. And those slaves couldn't do one blessed thing about it. I mean, you talk about helpless. How helpless. Just, I can't even imagine. Can you? We can't. With the freedoms we enjoy in this country, we cannot imagine what that was like. And when all hope was gone, the 400 years were up. They didn't know it, but the 400 years were up. And the Lord set His people free from the bondman with a mighty hand. And they were free. And you know who led Israel out? The one boy baby that they missed. <laughs> who was raised in Pharaoh's home. That's God's sovereignty on display. How about Joseph? He went down there for any of them. That's why they all ended up coming down there. Remember, Joseph was his father's favorite. Joseph had a dream. His family, his brothers, his mother, his father, they're all going to bow down to him. Boy, his brothers hated that. And they hated Joseph for it. So they ended up selling him into slavery down there in Egypt. Joseph went down there as a slave. And, you know, he just did such a, such a good job. He, ended, he was owned by a man named Potiphar. And Joseph ended up prospering in that house. He prospered. Potiphar didn't know anything that he had. He didn't know anything about his business dealings. It was all in the hand of Joseph. Potiphar just stopped playing golf, I reckon. I mean, it's it all in Joseph's hand. Until Joseph went to, back to the dungeon for a crime he didn't commit. Now you think, that's not fair. That's just not fair. But while he's there, he met the baker and butler of Pharaoh. And he interpreted their dreams and told them what's going to happen. He said, now when you get restored, you get an audience with Pharaoh. And you tell him about me. They said, oh, Joseph, we will. We would never forget you. you you've been so special to us. And buddy, the minute that dungeon door closed behind him, they forgot, forgot all about Paul Joseph. There he is in that dungeon. Scripture says the fetters were hurting his hands and his feet, forgotten by everybody but God. And what are we going to do about this? Well, in the situation, got just as bad as it could get. Scripture doesn't say this, but I just wonder if Joseph hadn't reached the lowest point that he'd been since he's been in Egypt. When it got as bad as it could get, in just a matter of a couple hours, Joseph went from the prison to the palace. Second in command. The greatest nation on earth. That's called sovereignty on display. And it's a comfort for us, it is for me anyway, to remember this. The Lord almost never, I say almost, I, I would say never, maybe in some cases He doesn't, but at least almost never, will the Lord deliver His people from a trial until all hope in the flesh is gone. And the situation gets as bad as it can get. And then, the Lord bears His mighty sovereign arm and delivers His people so that He gets the glory for it. I'm thankful for God's sovereignty, aren't you? It's our assurance of salvation. It's our comfort. In times of trial. All right now, turn back to Psalm sixty-nine. 
Here's a good reason to give thanks. Give thanks so that you can exalt our God. Now every believer would like to be able to exalt our God as he should be exalted. Every believer would like to praise our God as he ought to be praised. You know, there's a, there's a great burden in preaching, in preaching Christ. When I first felt like, you know, I was, I was being called to, to preach, I, I just, I never dreamed I'd be doing this. I thought I'd just fill in for a Sunday school class every once in a while or something, you know, but, and I, you know, I, I wonder, well, I mean, is this just a natural desire of a believer to, to want to talk about the Savior? Or, or is this something else? And there's a great burden in this thing of preaching Christ. It, it's very, very, very serious. There's a burden in telling the truth on God. There's a burden in handling the Word of God honestly. Rightly dividing the Word of truth. These scriptures are not just some, some uh, account of a documentary or something. This is the Word of God. I mean, we're dealing with, with great, great, great things here. There's a burden. I want to be sure I have a message from God for you, not a message that I want you to hear. There's a great burden in dealing with eternity-bound souls. But it's also a great joy. Isn't it, Eric? What a joy to get talked about the Savior. What a joy it is to be able to have this opportunity to brag on our Savior. And I know a lot of you, you would never feel called to preach or, you know, whatever. You just, you're so shy. You, you just, you know, that would, that would just, uh, that would petrify you, you know. Um, I asked Aaron Simpson one time, he, I said, next Wednesday, why, what happened if I lead you to lead the singing? He said, I don't know, but I wouldn't show up. I mean, it just, it's not for everybody, you know. But listen to me now. Don't think preaching. Don't think having a part in this public worship service is the only way that you can exalt our God. Because it's not. It's not. A believer exalts our God by giving thanks. Look here, Psalm 69, verse 30. I will praise the name of God with the song. I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This also shall, shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bullock that hath horns and hooves. The humble shall see this and be glad. And your heart shall live that seek God. For the Lord heareth the poor and despiseth not his prisoners. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. (laughs) If you exalt the Savior, if you want to exalt the Savior, tell you what to do. Just pray and say, thank you, Lord. Thank him. It's not hard to start thinking up things that you can thank the Lord for, is it? Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for your electing love. Thank you. Thank you doesn't even seem like a strong enough word to say thank you, Lord, for slaughtering your son so you give me life. Thank you, Lord. That is exalting the Savior. See, if we thank God for who He is, thank Him for His purpose. Thank you, His His purpose is always done. His purpose is a purpose of redemption for His people. His purpose is to forgive the sin of His people. (laughs) 
saying thank you like that, that pleases the Lord better than all the ceremonies of religion and the sacrifices of an animal. That's what David means here, verse 31. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bullock that hath horns and hooves. David here says that the Lord hears the prisoner, the poor and the prisoner. Well, if you're a prisoner to self, you're a prisoner to sin, you're a prisoner to the law, you're lowly in nature. I mean, you're low. You're low, down, rotten, dead sinner. Those people exalt the Lord. You know how? By thanking Him. They, those people can't take any credit for anything for them by themselves, can they? Giving the Lord the credit and thanking Him for it, that exalts Him. Simply saying, thank you, Lord. That automatically puts the Lord where He belongs on the throne and me down there on the dust by His feet thanking Him. Thanking Him as a mercy beggar. And that's something everybody has the opportunity and the ability to do. You might not think you got the ability to preach or lead to singing or read scripture or lead in prayer, but you got the ability to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right, now look at Matthew chapter 11. Here's a good reason to give thanks. The Lord reveals himself to babes. Matthew 11 Verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered. Now here's something that the Lord himself is going to give thanks for. I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Now the Savior himself Thanks his father for his electing love. And when the father determined to choose a people to save. He didn't choose the high and mighty. He didn't choose those who uh, live in big houses and in big gated communities. And this people that are rich and powerful and famous. People who are impressive to the flesh. That's the best way to put it in. The Lord didn't choose people who are impressive to the flesh. The Lord chose to save babes. These are the spiritually undeserving. They're small. They're weak. They can't do one thing for themselves. Not one. And the Lord passed by all those who are strong in themselves. The Lord chose Jacob and set his love upon Jacob and passed by Esau. Every person in this room would have chosen Esau. We all would have. I mean, he's a, he's a man's man. He's a, he's a working man. He, he's the kind of fellow who goes out there and, and gets stuff done. He's the kind of fellow you want to be your neighbor. You don't want Jacob to be your neighbor. It's hard to tell him, but you'll end up losing to Jacob. You know, you don't want to get no business dealings with Jacob. He's a cheat and a supplanter. But God chose Jacob. And oh, that gives somebody like me hope. Somebody that's a nobody from nowhere. Somebody who, by God's grace, has been able to see, I'm nothing. I'm nothing before God. I'll tell you what I deserve from God. I deserve His wrath. 
but in doing something only God would do. He chose to save worthless sinners. He set His electing love upon that. And I'm telling you, when we talk about God's electing love, it's not something to argue about. It's not something to debate. It's not something to fuss and fight about. It's something to be thankful for. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul was, he was thankful. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 13. But we're bound, we're honor bound, we're bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord did something so wonderful for his people, he chose to save them, and he didn't keep it a secret. He let them in on it by letting them hear the gospel and giving them faith to believe it. God's electing love is always a reason to give thanks because nobody would be saved without it. Nobody. And if we're going to be truly thankful, we have to be humble, don't we? Have to be humble. Here's the other thing about God's electing love. To the believer, this is not just a point of doctrine that differentiates us and, and, and we want to just ram down people's throats, you know. I thank God for His electing love. That God, holy, sovereign, right, dwelling in a light to which no man can approach would choose to save a sinner like me. Me! Of all people! I can see how God would choose you. I can't see how He'd choose me. I can't. Now that ought to... The truth of God's electing love. A man told me one time, he said, we all believe in, in election. You just believe you're, you know, you're so proud. You're, you're the special few, you know. I said, No. Anybody who believes in God's electing love is humbled by it. Humbled by it. That God would choose me? <laughs> oh, I'm thankful for God's sovereign electing grace, aren't you? Thankful. Now look at Colossians chapter 1. We can give thanks that God has made it right for His people to be in His kingdom. Colossians 1 verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers. Meet. He's made us meet. It's right to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Now God chose a people who were dead in Adam. They were in darkness. And he translated them from that kingdom of darkness, and he put them into the kingdom of his dear Son, and he made it right for them to be citizens there. The Father set his love upon a people. And he chose to bring them into his presence. In his kingdom. And the only people who can be in God's presence are people who are holy. God can't accept anything else, can he? But these people, they're born. Dead and trespasses and sins. Now how are you going to get them into that kingdom? 
Oh, they're going to climb the wall. They're going to dig a tunnel. How are you going to get them into that kingdom and make it right for them to be there? See, you and I, and we do this with those that we love. We choose to ignore their faults. We, we choose to just, well, we'll look over those things because, you know, because we want to be with them. We want to have peace with them. So we just have to choose to overlook one another's faults if we're going to live together in peace. But not God. God can't do that. Not be holy. Not be God. He can't. So God did something far, far better than ignore our faults. He put them away. He made it right for Him to be merciful to us. He made it right for us to be called the children of God. He made it right for Him to call us righteous because He sent His Son into this world as a man. And when the fullness of time came, the Father made His beloved Son sin for His people. And He slaughtered Him for it. Injustice. He gave Him exactly what He deserved. Now justice is satisfied. Now the debt's been paid. So the Father can bring His people and his He made it right. For he put the sin of His people away, so it's right for them to be in His presence. I can't think of a better reason to give thanks than that, can you? God made it right for somebody like me and you to be called children of God. All right, now look at Romans chapter 1. When we give thanks, let's give thanks for each other. Romans 1 verse 8. First, Paul says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And I will borrow the apostles' words as my own to this congregation. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. I do. I thank God for it. I thank God for you every day. And I pray that we can say that about one another. That we can thank God for each other. In, uh, without getting overly emotional I want to tell you I love you all I love this con- I pray for you I, when I know the, the troubles and situations you're going I pray for, I pray every I just in my mind's eye I go through this congregation it's a good thing everybody sits in the same seat every time that way I don't lose track of nobody I, I pray for you and I thank God for you I thank God for bringing us together I thank God for his mercy and His grace to you. I think that He's made you so faithful. So faithful to Him. And faithful to His gospel. For your kindness one to another. And I know we're not perfect. But there's no place. And no one. That I would rather serve the Lord with. Than you right here. That's the honest truth. I thank God for you. And then last. This is where I've been working to. Psalm 136. Give thanks that God's mercy is eternal. Psalm 136, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He's good, for His mercy forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for His mercy forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy forever. If you care later this evening to go on reading, you'll find 
that every verse of this psalm ends with this statement, for his mercy forever. Thank God his mercy is eternal. The word endureth there has been added by the the translators. What the psalmist actually wrote is, give thanks unto the Lord, he's good. His mercy forever. God's mercy doesn't have a beginning. You know, we say endureth, it makes it sound like, well, it starts now and, and lasts forever. God's mercy doesn't have a beginning. And it doesn't have an ending. It's eternal. You see, before creation, the eternal Father determined to have mercy on a sinful people. But like I said a minute ago, now in order for the Father to be merciful to people, He still has to be holy. He still has to be just. He still has to be right. So the Father determined to be merciful that something's got to be done about their sin because they're sinners. They're sinners by birth and Adam. They're sinners sinners by choice, their own choice. They're not a sin we've committed. We tried not to. No, we did it willingly. Sinners by practice. It's all we can do is sin. And the Son of God came in the flesh. The Son of God was born a real human being. So He had a body of flesh that could be broken for sin. In a minute, the men are going to take this unleavened bread. It's in sheets right now. Like the body of our Lord was whole until it was broken. And they're going to break that bread. That's the body of our Lord. That's a picture. What the Lord's given us to remember how His body was broken for our sin. And the men will distribute the bread. We'll take the bread We'll pray, thank God for it. We'll put it in our mouth. Nobody can hear it but you. But you hear that bread being ground in your teeth, won't you? It's His body being ground. It's a picture of His body being ground under the justice for God's sin. When our Lord's body was broken, out came His blood. The blood that He shed to pay the sin debt of His people in full. The debt's paid. Mercy means God not giving us what we do deserve. When or, this, this makes mercy so sweet to God's people. In order to be merciful to sinners and not give them what they do deserve, He had to give His Son what we deserve. Let that sink in. And He did that so He could give us what His Son deserves. What his son earned by his perfect obedience as a man. Can you think of a better reason to be thankful than that? I can't. And I've thought about it all week. And I can't think of a better reason to give thanks than that. So when we observe the Lord's table, this is what we're doing. We're remembering. Our Savior said, this do in remembrance of me. We're remembering our Savior. We're remembering what it is he suffered so that he could put the sin of his people away. And I can't think of a better way to begin the national day of thanksgiving than remembering our Savior and his sacrifice for his people. All right, Eric, if you would, you men distribute the bread.
the Apostle Paul gives us instructions for the Lord's table in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Gary, would you give thanks for the prayer? After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show, you do thoroughly tell the Lord's death till he come. Eric, would you give thanks for the blood?
Well, I hope you think this has been as special of a service as I do. This uh, Wednesday before Thanksgiving is one of the services I look forward to all year long, to worship our Lord together, remember him around his table. All right, Isaac, you come lead us in our closing hymn.